Welcome to the Littler Workplace Policy Institute podcast. Insider briefings on the latest legislative and regulatory developments affecting employers. Hello, I'm Corinne Jackson, a Littler principal in Los Angeles, California, and a member of Littler's Workplace Policy Institute, or WPI. And I'm Alka Ramchandani Raj, a Littler of Counsel in Walnut Creek, California, and also a member of WPI. WPI is dedicated to making sure that policymakers hear the voice of employers as they consider and implement workplace legislation and regulations. Today, we are going to focus on pending California workplace safety legislation and regulations. That's right. The California legislature and CalOSHA have been very active in recent years on the legislative and regulatory fronts, and 2019 is no exception. So, Alka, before we get started, can you share with our listeners just a little bit of your background on CalOSHA? Of course. For the past several years, I've represented employers in California. My primary focus has been on California Occupational Safety and Health Administration matters. Within my CalOSHA focus, I assist employers in pre-injury incident prevention practices and post-crisis incident litigation, as well as general employment advice and counsel and litigation matters. Impressive. Okay, let's dig in. We've got two new bills to discuss, along with a set of proposed Cal-OSHA regulations. First up is AB35. This has to do with blood lead level reporting. Now, before we dig into what AB35 proposes, Alka, can you talk a little bit about what current law requires surrounding the reporting of toxic agents? Sure, Corinne. Current law requires the California Department of Industrial Relations, or the DIR, establish a repository of current data on toxic materials and harmful physical agents in use or potentially in use in places of employment in the Golden State. That repository, which is known as the Hazard Evaluation System and Information Service, or HESIS for short, must provide information and collect and evaluate data relating to possible hazards to employees resulting from exposure to toxic materials or harmful physical agents. So what would AB 35 do? Well, it would require the State Department of Health to create an occupational lead poisoning prevention program. The bill outlines a number of requirements for the department's program, including some of the following. The department would need to develop a system for monitoring laboratory reports of cases of adult lead toxicity. AB 35 would also require the department to conduct investigations in cases where take-home exposure may be occurring, where there is a likelihood of identifying additional cases, or where a previously unidentified risk factor may be present. Additionally, there is a training component. The department would need to conduct training of employers, employees, and health professionals regarding prevention of occupational lead poisoning. Now, does AB 35 identify a specific occupational lead poisoning level for the prevention program? It does. Under the bill, the department would consider a lab report of an employee's blood lead level at or above 20 micrograms per deciliter to be injurious to the employee's health, and the department would be required to report that case to the Division of Occupational Safety and Health within five days of receiving the report. 
This report would constitute a serious exposure and subject the employer or place of employment to an investigation by the division and would require the division to make any citations or fines imposed as a result of the investigation publicly available on an annual basis. The bill essentially is an additional action and it does not have any effect on any previous regulations, so it does not supersede any lower blood lead levels established by the regulations prior to the new bill. Got it. So this is starting to sound a little familiar, Alka. Didn't we see a similar bill in California last year? Good memory. This year's AB35 is very similar to last year's AB2963. Which was vetoed by then-Governor Brown. That's right. In his veto message, Governor Brown stated, the Department of Public Health already works collaboratively with employers to reduce work exposure to lead and refers employees to the Division for Enforcement, if needed, on a case-by-case basis. This bill would erode that collaborative approach and require the Division to take immediate enforcement action upon referral. So we will have to stay tuned to see if our new governor, Gavin Newsom, takes the same approach. Next up is AB203. Valley fever? Is that still a thing? It is. For listeners who aren't familiar with valley fever, it's an infection caused by a microscopic fungus that lives in the top 2 to 12 inches of soil in many parts of the Golden State. When soil is disturbed by activities like digging, grading, driving, or high winds, fungal spores can become airborne and potentially be inhaled. Valley fever is endemic to a number of California counties, including Fresno, Kern, Kings, Madeira, Merced, Monterey, St. Louis Obispo, and Tulare. AB203 would require construction employers engaging in specific work activities or vehicle operation in counties where valley fever is prevalent to provide effective awareness training. The training will have to be provided to exposed employees before an employee begins work and annually thereafter. The bill would require the training to cover specific topics. The training would also need to be included in the employer's injury and illness prevention program or as a standalone training program. Does AB203 include an effective date for this training requirement? Yes, if AB203 is enacted, covered employers must provide valley fever awareness training to all potential exposed employees by May 1st, 2020, and annually by that date thereafter. Got it. Finally, let's talk about AB 647, which is a bill pertaining to the cosmetics industry, right? Correct. Before we dig into this one, let me provide a little bit of background. Currently, the Hazardous Substances Information and Training Act prescribes the rights and duties of employers who use hazardous substances people who sell a hazardous substance to employers in California, and manufacturers who produce or sell hazardous substances. The Director of Industrial Relations established a list of hazardous substances and is required to make the list available to manufacturers, employers, and the public. Existing law requires the manufacturer of a hazardous substance on that list to prepare and provide its direct purchasers of the hazardous substance, a material safety data sheet, referred to as an SDS, containing specified information that is current, accurate, and complete. 
The SDS is a detailed informational document that describes the physical and chemical components of the product, everything that is contained in the hazardous substance. An SDS contains useful information such as flashpoint, toxicity, procedures for spills and leaks, and storage guidelines. Wait a minute, Alka. Is California now classifying cosmetics as hazardous substances? Well, that depends. AB 647 would require the manufacturer of a hazardous substance or mixed substances that constitute a cosmetic or are used to disinfect to post its SDS on a publicly accessible website. Now, this would only apply to manufacturers who are required to create an SDS. So, only those manufacturers whose product contains materials identified as hazardous by the Director of Industrial Relations. The bill would require the manufacturer to translate the SDS into languages determined by the Director of Industrial Relations to be common for the beauty care industry, including Spanish, Vietnamese, Chinese, and Korean, and to place these translations on the publicly accessible website. Got it. Finally, let's shift from pending legislation to pending regulations. Now, California already has a heat illness prevention program for outdoor workers. Cal OSHA is thinking about an indoor heat prevention program? That's right. The proposed regulation titled Heat Illness Prevention in Indoor Places of Employment contains similar provisions to the outdoor heat illness standard. In its latest draft, dated January 29th of this year, the proposed regulation would apply to all indoor work areas where the temperature equals or exceeds 82 degrees Fahrenheit when employees are present. Some of the provisions in the indoor heat illness standard that are similar to the outdoor standard include the requirement to provide water, emergency response procedures, acclimatization, training, and a written heat illness prevention plan. While the outdoor standard specifies that an employer must provide access to shade, the indoor standard requires employers to provide access to cool down areas. Is there anything notably different about the indoor heat standard? Yes, there is. An interesting new requirement mandates the employers enact assessment and control measures in the following circumstances. Whenever the temperature equals or exceeds 87 degrees Fahrenheit, when the heat index equals or exceeds 87 degrees Fahrenheit, whenever employees wear clothing that restricts heat removal and the temperature equals or exceeds 82 degrees, or when employees work in high radiant heat work area and the temperature equals or exceeds 82 degrees. One of the assessment and control measures requires the employer to measure and record the temperature or heat index, whichever is greater, and identify and evaluate all other environmental risk factors for heat illness. The proposed regulation further requires that the employer maintain accurate records of temperature or heat index measurements, and such records need to include the date, the time, specific location of all of these measurements. So do you think this proposed regulation will be adopted? I'm pretty certain it will be adopted. It may be adopted in a different form than it currently is proposed, as it has been going back and forth between comments. But surely we will see something in place within the next year or two. Okay. So 
Isn't there also a proposed California workplace violence regulation? There is. The workplace violence prevention in all industries regulation has gone through a number of iterations. Most recently, it was updated on October 24th of last year. The proposed regulation defines violence in the workplace and prescribes a written workplace violence prevention program. The written plan may be incorporated into an employer's existing injury and illness prevention program, or it can be a standalone document. And it must include a number of provisions, including names and job titles of the persons responsible for implementing the plan, and procedures to respond to workplace violence emergencies, including active shooter situations. An employer would also be required to maintain a violent incident log. And the violent incident log has to include every incident and post-incident response and investigation. The log must also include, amongst other things, the date, the time, specific location of the incident, as well as the nature and consequences of the incident. The regulation requires a training component as well. The training must address the workplace violence risk that employees are reasonably anticipated to encounter in their jobs. The training material must also be appropriate in content and vocabulary to the education level, literacy, and language of the employees. Does this proposed regulation include any record-keeping obligations? A number of them. Employers would be required to create records of workplace violence hazard identification, evaluation, and correction, and the employer has to maintain those records for at least one year. Training records must be maintained for at least one year and include training dates, contents or summaries of the training sessions, names and qualifications of persons conducting the training, and names and job titles of all persons attending the training sessions. Violent incident logs would need to be maintained for five years. How about this one? Do you think this proposed regulation will be adopted? I do. I do believe that this would also be adopted within the next year or two. All right. That's our report on what is happening with California Workplace Safety Initiative. Thank you so much, Alka, for joining me here today for this important discussion. Great to be here, Corinne. Happy to participate. And thanks to our listeners as well. Stay tuned for further Workplace Policy Institute podcasts. We will keep you informed as WPI acts as the voice of employers with policymakers on the federal, state, and local levels. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.